You are listening to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel and Carlene Bellier, episode number 19. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Today, I've got something extra special to do because I am doing an interview and I'm so excited. Um, a friend of mine, Carlene Bellier, has agreed to come on the podcast. Hi, Carlene. Hi there. I'm so happy to have you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. I'm so honored. I'm excited because Carlene's one of those people that's super positive and she's worked with veterinarians for years. And I really think that she's going to add um, some really good insight for all of you out there in the veterinary world. So let's get started. I have a little list of questions, but we're going to kind of try to keep this free form. Um, but Carlene, tell me a little bit about yourself. Like, where were you born? Where did you grow up? Tell me about your background. So I was born in Lansing, Michigan and grew up there most of my life, lived in Oklahoma briefly. Um, I never thought of myself as going into the association management world, but that's where I ended up and worked in association management for almost 31 years. So now I'm chief culture officer for Mission Veterinary Partners in Michigan. And I'm excited about that opportunity because about a decade ago, I decided I wanted to do some different things. And I was very passionate about communication and about work-life balance and about happiness. And I really wanted to help younger people because it's hard when you're young and it's hard to kind of find what you want to do in life and find your own happiness. And so I started a business, kind of a side business, where I did speaking nationally, mostly in the veterinary world, so, but also outside. So how'd you get interested in that? Like what, what sparked that in you, that whole positivity piece, that whole work-life balance thing? How did that come about? It probably came about from not having very good work-life balance. And our younger generations are so focused on having good work-life balance that I'm excited about that. And I wish I would have done that when I was younger. Done that from the standpoint of just read about it or got interested in it or just had better balance. Like you don't feel like you had good balance. You know, when you work 60 plus hours a week, that's probably not the very best balance, especially yeah. if you have a young family. And so I just wish I would have known more about it. And I've always been very interested in communication. So I had been a student of body language since the 80s, uh, became DISC certified in 2014, always was very interested in things like generational differences. And that also kind of bled over into the wellness and well-being side. So I really care about people and I want them to have good wellness and well-being. And um, what's your educational background? Like what did you study in college in order to get into this whole organizational management work-life balance thing? Like what's, what did you study? So my undergraduate was from Michigan State and it's in telecommunications which really has nothing to do with anything, but I had so many different things. I was first, I was a music major and then interior design and, and then psychology. And a then music major, like for singing or for something else? Piano, singing. Oh, good. Briefly. That's cool. Cause I know you sing now. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. But in order to get out in four years, I could lump it all under telecommunication. And oh, still okay. So. And still use your music. Yes. classes and things like that. Exactly. Oh, cool. And then I got an MBA from the university of Michigan when I realized 
that making $12,000 a year was not going to pay my bills. <laughs> In telecommunications? Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so I get that. So that's how he started out into the whole, you know, being an organizational manager type of thing? Yes, yes. Okay. My mom and my grandma had run associations. And when oh, I came okay. out I of U of M, I, I basically had quite a few job offers, only one in the Lansing area where my future husband was going to live. And it was with the Michigan Nurses Association, so I went toward there. And that's where you started. That's where I started. So how many years were you there? I was there 16 years. And what did that entail? Like, did you work, <clears throat> excuse me, did you work with nurses in this type of, you know, gen- v- venue as far as work-life balance, that kind of thing? Or was it more just organizing the organization for them? Or what exactly was your role? I started out as their finance director, which, you know, I'm really not that big into numbers, but it was a start and ended up as their chief operations officer. So kind of did a lot of different things for them. When you work for an association, you wear a lot of different hats and got a lot of good experience. And then really found that I wanted to get a CEO position with a small association. And and the Veterinary Association opportunity came up, and I instantly loved that. And that was Michigan. Yeah. Yeah, and how did that come about? Like, how did you learn about that position and interview for it? How did you get involved in the veterinary world? Um, I was actually just looking for a new position, a new opportunity. I mean, you you can't have a new chapter unless you turn a page, right? So I saw this listing for a job and applied. And um, when I went for my interview a couple days before, my dog had been attacked by bees and almost died. Oh my gosh! It was That's crazy. It was one of these wild, devastating opportunities, and we yeah. thought we were gonna. Lose I've never her. seen. I've never seen that happen. All the years I've been in practice, I've not. I've seen dogs get stung by bees, but not like swarmed by them. And oh, like how many bee stings did she have? Oh, hundreds. And really. Hundreds. Oh she my was, gosh, how'd that happen? So she's crazy. Older, and um, we have a deck off our bedroom, and I heard kind of a thud. So she had fallen down the stairs. And I looked out, out the door, and I saw it was almost like her, her skin was moving, but she was covered in ground bees. Oh my gosh. And so I called her. She ran in the house. I'm trying to get them off her. <laughs> and bees in the house? Yeah, I'm oh allergic God. to bees too. <laughs> you are? They're in my, oh my hair, gosh, they're in my crazy. shirt. I yell for my husband. Oh, no. He comes running. I yell to my daughter, go in your room and shut the door and don't come out no matter what you hear. Now, that's not a good thing to tell no. a child, right? Yeah. So my husband grabs a dog, runs out the front door. You know, he says, get the bees off you. And before I know it, I'm thinking, well, he just ran out and the bees are all following him. And I'm still running <laughs> out. I'm looking for him. He's at the end of the street, barefoot, running towards me, pulling fistfuls of bees off the dog oh, as he's God. running. And probably getting and, stung the whole oh, time. Yeah. He gets back. The only place there's not bees is in the garage. You know, they're out front. They're in the house. So he goes out in the garage and he says to me, you better come in here. We're losing her. <gasps> and I'm on the phone. You know, it's um, Labor Day weekend. The, the veterinarian is closed. I'm on the phone with MSU. They say, get the dog here as fast as you can. We may be able to save her. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, we grab our daughter. We get in the car, wrap the dog in a blanket. Um, there's still bees. And we drove to MSU. They whisk her away. We didn't have shoes. We didn't have purses. <laughs> Fortunately, I had a mother in town that could come over with a credit card. With oh, some and, and amazingly, about two days later, that dog went home with us. And it was such an emotional and moving experience. And, and then I had my interview. 
with the Michigan Vet Medicine. So you fell in love with veterinarians oh. that, the day that they saved your dog. Well, and they said, what experience have you had with veterinarians? I told them this story and it, it was just so perfect. It was like everything kind of fell into place. Yeah, it was and, meant to be. And my dog lived a couple years after me. Really? So it was it What was a great. crazy story. I know. I've never heard anything like that. That's insane. So you worked for MBMA. For yes. how long? 15 years. Okay. And just recently left there. Yes. How, what was your experience with the veterinarians that came in and out of the MVMA? I'm sure a lot of the listeners are members of the MVMA or some veterinary organization in their area. What was your experience like with veterinarians and how did you find them as people? I love veterinarians. They're so nice. And I love all the people they work with too, whether it's technicians or assistants. They're just a phenomenal group of kind, wonderful people. Super and, driven. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Amazing, right? Yeah. And yeah. they make a difference in the world every single day. I don't think they know it. Well, and that's God. the main reason that I'm doing this podcast is I think we don't believe how valuable we are to the world. And we have all these, you know, terrible thoughts of self-doubt and, you know, hating our job or whatever it is. And and I think it's just really important for for them to understand to hear what you're saying. I that, agree. That they're absolutely amazing people. I am in awe of all veterinarians. I really am. I Every time, I spend a lot of time going to practices, and I watch and I observe everything that they're doing with an animal and a client and the way they they treat them and the kindness that they, they give them. And I just am in awe of what they do every day. Yeah, that's cool. And that's why you stayed with veterinarians, because now at Mission you're with them still, right? Yep, yeah. Definitely. So you're still working with them even closer probably. Yep. Because you're more in the in the practice part of it. I am. So with MVMA, with MVMA, the times that you were there, the time, years you were there, what do you think was one of the your most significant contributions to them? Like what what are you really proud of that you did there for the the organization? Well one of the things I really enjoyed the most was developing a young leaders group which was something that we ended up rolling out nationally with another group. That Power of 10, right? Yep. I Power love that program. Yes. We're lucky to have you involved. Now <laughs> yeah, too, I'm, in so. the, I'm in it now, but for years I've been gunning for it. But I was on the board, I think, when you started developing that, and I thought it was a fabulous idea. So tell the people that don't know about it, tell them about what that what that is. So the Power of 10 Leadership Academy is a group of usually 10 to 15 veterinarians that are between one and 10 years out of school. And we bring them in for four to five full day sessions where we're, we're trying to help them out with areas that they probably struggle with. Um, it might be communications. It might be work-life balance. Um, it might be just dealing with clients. And we bring in special people that will help talk to them and train them. We will teach them well, internally, I did a lot of training myself in communications and, and happiness and brain training and leadership, all of that. Um, but they're a great group of people, and they're just struggling at times to find their place, find out what they want to eventually do, since there's so many different opportunities in veterinary medicine. And it's a great way to bond a group together, too, so that you have some colleagues that you can call and talk to and bounce ideas off. Because it's a small group. It's, it's like, a small group. It's called Power of Ten, and I think it was originally designed to be ten people, right? Mm -hmm. and, but it's usually like ten or twelve or something like right. that. And they're all turning people away. So. Yeah, and they're all about the same age, so that's what's cool about it too. Mm -hmm. 
And then you're bringing them new skills that they don't necessarily get in veterinary school. Right. As far as leadership and, you know, disc training and and all those things that we're also interested in on this podcast because we think it's so important. But so that's really cool. So that's one of the things you're most proud of is that Power of 10 program. Yes, definitely. We also were able to get mandatory continuing education for veterinarians and veterinary technicians, which Michigan was the last state, and that was a little embarrassing. That was huge. Yeah, that's that's a lot of work. I remember going through that. That was crazy. How many years was that? Like 20 or something? Yeah, like 20. That was insane. It's crazy. (laughs) Well, that's that's good. I think you did a great job at MBMA, so I'm excited to see what you're going to do next. It's really Really cool. So as far as, um, tell me, tell me about what you see this new job that you're, you're taking on with mission veterinary partners. What do you see as your mission, which is really appropriate (laughs) that that's their name. Um, what do you, what do you see as part of that? Your, your role here, like, what are you going to do in this organization? Well, the mission of our organization is really to put people first and to be the veterinary employer of choice. And so my role as chief culture officer is really to go out in the practices and help them create these positive work cultures. Because, I mean, all of you know that it's really hard out there and there's a lot of anxiety and stress in a practice. And what we really want to create are these cultures of joy and gratitude and positivity. And so my job is really to go into our 40 practices or more and help them. And that involves really training them in in communication, in well-being and work-life balance, because culture and well-being really go hand in hand. If you don't have good wellness and well-being for your team members, you're not going to have a good culture because they're not going to be healthy. Well, and I think sometimes in veterinary hospitals, people don't always believe that that's possible. You know, in my veterinary hospital for years, I've tried to create that culture. And and I think we've done a pretty good job. I mean, we obviously have our days where we think our job sucks and we don't like it. But um, I, I think sometimes veterinary hospitals become so negative and so dragged down by their narrative, you know, and, and I think the fact that you're trying to change it is really amazing. And and what ways do you see that you're going to do that? Like, how do you think you can help um, people change their their thinking around this negativity that we sometimes want to hold on to? Because I know you've tra- you've studied that whole neuro brain chemistry thing. Like, what? Tell us about that a little bit. Well, our brains go negative eighty percent of the time, which makes it really hard to be positive. And we spend 90,000 hours of our life at work. And so we definitely want to enjoy it and have a positive work environment. That's just just that number. That's an overwhelming number. It is. That's crazy. It is. You know, but so why shouldn't we try to have fun, right? Right. Yeah. Right. We want to enjoy our time. And the negative, the whole negative brain thing, it's something that I think we have a little bit more control over than we think. Right. And you've, you've put some great information on your podcast about controlling your thoughts. And that's really important. It's not easy because your brain wants to go negative. Like you said, the 80, 20 thing, you know, it's like anything else, but it's something that I think we can learn to do or or at least try to do. I agree. So what kind of um, things do you think or tips can you give um, the people that are listening for their own workplaces? Like what can they do as an individual to help turn that culture around if they have a negative 
either either one negative person or a negative whole culture in their hospital. What do you think that an individual might be able to do? Do you have any, you know, ideas? Well, positivity is as contagious as negativity. You know, we all have worked with that one negative person that's the swirling pit of doom that pulls everybody down. Um, to the extent that you can be more positive yourself and be more upbeat, it really does affect other people. And I think sometimes with veterinary practices, it helps if you bring someone in from the outside because having one or two people in a practice that have been there for a long time just suddenly want to change the culture makes it really hard to do. So to the extent that you can bring somebody in to help, that does work often. Like somebody to observe the culture and, and try to pick out where they're failing or a coach or somebody like that or somebody like you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that does help. Or even creating a little committee or a task force within a practice that's maybe going to think about ways to do some team building or ways to create meetings that aren't so negative um, or ways to increase wellness of team members. Hey, let's have a a yoga instructor come in once a month and do an hour with our team. Or let's have a chair massage person come in once a month and do 10-minute massages for our team. Or let's have a coach come in and do a cooking lesson on healthy eating. Oh, that sounds like a fun thing to do. I mean, (laughs) anything you can do as a team, I think, to to build the team and be more positive is going to help. But a lot of it is also about communication too. And you did a great job talking about DISC, which, you know, there's so many different behavioral types. Unless you understand and become more self-aware of yourself and can learn to adjust your communication style to other people that are very different, you may still struggle and have some conflict. Yeah. And I think that's super important. Like I'm really interested in all the behavioral, you know, the different studies that they do and in understanding yourself. I think that's so important because people, I think they want to project the negativity onto others. Like that's what I, I always think it's somebody else. It's not me. That's creating a negative thing. It's like that girl over there, you know, she's so negative. And, and I think until you start to look inward and, and take ownership of your own attitude about other people, and I think DISC and, and those personality things are a good way to become self-aware. So you can say, oh, well, maybe it's me. You know, maybe I'm part of the problem. Because right. <laughs> we never want to say that, you know. We never want to think that maybe it's some of it's on us. Right. And, and I, and I got to say that if there's 20 people in a practice and they all start doing some self-work around their own issues, that it's going to be a better culture. Absolutely. So if you can get people to understand that, you know, I think that's really, really important. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great idea. And I love the yoga thing. That's a that's a fun thing. It is a fun because I've done yoga and it is really relaxing. But mm-hmm. to have it as a as a practice thing, that would that would be fun. It would be. We might have to try that. We used to do Zumba at after hours at our hospital because one of our um, animal assistants was a Zumba instructor. That's so fun. she would oh it was great. It was it was awesome. Plus, you know, it was a workout. But it was good team building, you know, because for the people that we could get to do it, you know, not everybody would do it, but um, for the people that were there, it was definitely um, team building. So um, how about telling me what is it that you're working on as far as um, new things that you're trying to learn right now? Like, do you have something that you're focused on, um, curiously trying to learn 
Um, is there something you're really looking into right now in this whole self-help happiness, you know, or is there a good book that you're reading or, you know, tell me about what you're learning. Cause I think learning is so important. Well, being eight weeks into a new job, I'm actually <laughs> learning a lot. a lot from a new job and they've never had a chief culture officer. So it's it, a brand I'm new position. It out. Yeah. yeah. And I'm spending a lot of time in the practices to start with. But one of the things that I really need to learn more about is online learning because we have 650 employees and 40 practices at this point, and I can't be everywhere all the time for everyone. Right. So I need to learn more about the tech side of training and actually making that happen. Yeah. And I'm a little challenged with that. That that's a stretch. Yeah, I think for me. some of that, unfortunately, is is generational. Yeah. You know, I, I hate to call us old, but <laughs> <laughs> we're not 20. So right, yeah, right. we have this is new. All this technology stuff is a little bit new. So. Right. Yeah. So you're trying to develop online programs. Is that kind of where you're headed or? Yes, I think so. Like video or? I think we need videos. Um, I think we need to do more um, live online training as well. Because I can go into practices constantly and do training, but yet the minute I leave within who knows how long, they have new employees. People leave, new yeah. people come on. So then you've got untrained people. So we need to develop programs for them. We need to develop programs for when we acquire a new hospital, training for them, and actually helping them right away to work on their culture. And how to keep um, that interesting, you know? Exactly. Because I, I've had to go through online training before, and some of them are horrible. Like, they're... They're boring and, you know, you got to have something that's going to get people excited right. to learn. Right. You know, having something interactive would be great. But yeah. But yeah. Of course, you can't do that with everything. No, but I do. Th I think you're right. I think it has to be more interactive. And so, so those are some of the things that you're trying to work on around getting this, this CE thing, the, the portion of your job. Right. Yeah. And and is there like a department that you get to work with and people that do know the techie stuff or are you going to have to learn it all on your own? I have been tapping into a lot of people in our headquarters because they're brilliant. They're younger than me. They're passionate. Um, they are, they're, they're awesome. Yeah. The trick is we're all really, really busy and trying to time stay on top of everything. Yeah. Um, but we'll get there and we're working really hard to get there and we just want to create good information, good trainings for everybody. Because, you know, my mission in life is really just to make the world a better place. And I love veterinarians. And so that's why I want to do it here. Yeah. And if you can make one person's life better, it's all worth it. It is. And I'm sure you're touching, you know, hundreds, if not thousands at this point. Because you've been speaking around the country, too. I have. Tell me about that. I forgot to ask you about that. Because so, that was something new for you just a couple of years ago, right? Well, the whole speaking thing. Been, How long have you been doing it? Probably been close to 10 years now. Really? It, it took off about five years ago. Okay. I always encourage people. It doesn't seem like it's been that long. But, I know. I always yeah. encourage people to sit down and think about where they want their life to be a year from now. And really write it down and think about it and do a little soul searching. Because there may be things that you want to be doing that you haven't done. So the speaking thing, I was always terrified of public speaking. But suddenly I found that I really wanted to do that. And I sat down and I wrote about it and I read it every day and it, it motivated me to, to put a website up and start contacting colleagues and offering to come speak to their groups. And before I knew it, um, I, I was doing a ton of speaking. So, 
you know, the last couple of years, I did six or seven sessions for AHA and things for ADMA, NAFTA. I've been in, I think, 25 different state BMAs doing, doing different sessions. And it's fun for me because I really just want to help people. And they seem to connect and I use a lot of humor. And so the speaking thing really took off. Um, I'm not doing as much of it now because I really need to focus on being chief culture officer. But it is fun. And now I get to do it in practices. So it started as a just a goal or idea, mm-hmm. you know. So I think that's important for people to hear Yeah, is, like, if you really think you might want to do something, even if you just might want to do it, mm-hmm. making yourself a goal. Right. And it and it's gonna, might take a while to get going. Yeah. So it took 10 years, huh? Or you did it, you started it 10 years well, ago. I Well, little little bits. Like yeah. I would do pieces on body language or work-life right. balance. But it was about five years ago that we would bring people in to do DISC with our Power of 10, for example. And I thought, heck, I could do that. Yeah, so I went and got certified in it. Yeah. So it was about five years ago that I started getting jobs. And then people wanted to book me for the entire day. And I didn't have enough material. Right. Yeah, so I so started to develop really it. doing a deep dive into yeah. brain training, leadership, happiness, all of that. Developing and, your material. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. So it's and it's fun. just it's a just a testament to how you can set goals and and meet them. Is there anything in that time, either the speaking portion or, um, you know, the rest of your career that you had um, like a huge failure that you can um, share? Because I really think part of the whole achieving your goals things is, is not fearing failure because I think failure is super important to learning. So is there any, you know, big epic fail stories that you have? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> tell um, us at least one. I mean, you the, can tell us multiple if you want, but the one big one. Okay. So when I was at the Nurses Association, um, the finance department was under me and the IT and some different groups. And we had a giant embezzlement. It was a half a million dollars over a period of seven or eight years. Oh, my gosh. That's a lot of money. This The woman worked for me. Um, I was in a band with two of her brothers and her cousin. <gasps> so it was kind of a friend. Oh, yeah. Oh, my and, gosh. Um, what, one of the things I learned from that is where there's a will, there's a way. Because she did this in such a way that was, it was brilliant and so sneaky. We had an audit every year. We had awesome checks and balance in place. We had two check signers on every check. I won't get into all of the details, but um, it, was, it was a devastating blow. I had, I had felt for a while that it was time for me to move on and have a new adventure. And this was sort of the two by four that gave me the clue that. All I right, mean, when this happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, all right, it's time for me well, to move on. Did you on. feel like the fact that she was like, how long did this go on for this embezzlement thing? Like, it, was it years? It or? went on for years. Really? And you didn't know it. We didn't know it. So is that what you're thinking of as the failure part of it? Yeah. Because you didn't, she worked for me. Yeah. And even though I. Our bank state statements would come in the mail. I would sit and go through every single check that was written. There was about 400 a month to make sure there was nothing out of the ordinary. What I didn't know is she would go into the bank statements and open them and take out the checks she'd written to herself and reseal it before I'd get them. Wow. And there was a lot of really sneaky stuff. Yeah, that was, in the, that was when they used to send the checks back to yeah, you, right? it was. So she was actually writing checks to herself. She was. Out of there. Wow. And uh, forging the check stubs so it looked like postage. And it was in the normal postage amount wow. for a postage account. So even if I went to the paper files and looked through things, 
looked like a postage check. Yeah. Stuff. That's what it said. And so, so she just pulled the wool over your eyes totally. She did. And she you did. trusted her because she was a friend of yours or well, sort of a friend. Yeah, she'd been yeah, an like employee. 20 years. And yeah. So, wow. but you know, the great, I think there's blessings that come out of everything bad. I, I believe that truly. I think, I think anything like that. So what was the blessing? It was getting to work for veterinarians. Yeah. Cause was, you left after yeah. that. I didn't get Did fired. you leave in like disgrace or did you just like think, oh, I really screwed up here. I need to move on. Well, like what I, was the reason? I wanted to move on. I had wanted oh, okay. to move on for a while. But and I thought actually, this was like God's way of telling you it was time to go. Exactly. The two back <laughs> Get out. Yeah. Um, but I actually went to our, we had a house of delegates and we had, you know, large member meetings and conventions and, and I would actually go and do presentations to explain what happened. And, and when people saw that, you know, they were astounded and they would actually stand up and give you like a standing ovation for, for, for what you had done to help with that. And the fact that, you know, it wasn't like a giant, giant error. It wasn't a giant oversight. It was just someone that was brilliant that figured it out. Yeah. And, um, and did you eventually catch her? Like, were you the one that figured it out or someone else did? Our accounting firm caught her because they would, they would ask for copies of random checks Mm. and there were three that they had pulled and she, she couldn't come up with them. Oh. Well, when, when we finally got them from the bank, we found out that the checks to her and then put through a thorough investigation. But again, the great thing that came out of it is I applied for the position of CEO of, of the Michigan DMA and got it. And what yeah. a blessing that was for Well, and otherwise, years. had this not happened, you may not have left. I may think. not have. Yeah. I had had some turnover in their CEO and I wanted to be helpful and stayed. And so, yeah. Yeah, that's a good epic failure story. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) I think everybody, I think everyone has one and everyone should have one. Of course. Even the little failures, I think are super important, you know, because they help us, I don't know, they help us learn and they help us move on. They do. So tell me how, um, I know you have kids and I know you've been a working mother for years. Tell me how you think you managed all that. Like how... I know you said that at times you think you didn't do a great job at work-life balance, but your kids obviously are still alive and they are <laughs> and they're functioning <laughs> adults. <laughs> I was always a person that worked hard and played hard. So, okay. and I think, you know, devoting time, even if it's, even if you're working 60 hours a week, if you devote that time to your kids and you actually play with them, have fun with them, enjoy them you not only build that, you know, mother-child relationship, but you build that friendship as they get older. And I think not having too many rules helped, um, not being too obsessed with, you know, everything being perfect. Like I mean, in your house, like you didn't have the perfectly clean house or whatever. No, yeah. no, we didn't. And and it all worked out. And yeah. I'm really good friends with my kids now, as, as you are as well. Yeah, so you feel like even though you're a working mother that they turned out okay. Yeah. I just had a really interesting conversation yesterday with a woman who has little children. She has two little boys. And she was feeling super guilty because she tried the whole stay-at-home mom thing, and it just wasn't her thing. And so now she's back at work and her 11, I think he was 11 months old, was at daycare for the first time. And she was kind of freaking out about it. And she was asking me for advice. And I said, well, I said, my kids did daycare and I worked full time. And I just, I feel like I would have not been their mother had I not worked because that's not me. And I think for the working moms out there, they have to realize that, you know, 
some people just aren't built to be stay-at-home moms. Like my kids would have had a horrible experience with me, I think, <laughs> had I stayed home. Do you agree? Yes, yeah, like I would have been the worst mother. But the fact that when I wasn't working, I was all in with the kids, you know, and that's kind of my, was my advice to her. Like, what would your advice be to the working moms? Because I know there are a lot of them that are in veterinary medicine, whether they're receptionists or managers or veterinarians, you know, a lot of them either work part-time or full-time outside the home. And they have kids that they're trying to raise. And it's not easy, right? Right. Like, what, what advice would you give them? It's probably not the quantity of time as much as it is the quality of Which the sounds time. really cliche because that's does, what everybody says. But it's true. But it, I think so. I really yeah. do. I think it, it's absolutely true. And what, like, what other kind of things do you think that they need to realize about maybe even the resiliency of children? Well, I think, I, I'm not sure exactly how to answer that. <laughs> but I, I do know that, you know, as a working mom... You're modeling good behavior for them. I mean, not that you have to work to be behaving well, but um, they watch you. They watch how you are. I, I brought my kids to work every once in a while. Um, as, as I got involved with veterinarians, I took my daughter to different places where she could meet veterinarians and be around different kinds of animals. And she thought that was really cool. And she had experiences she wouldn't have otherwise had. Yeah. Had you not worked. Yeah. I had both my daughter and my son work for us at MBMA briefly and they were helpful and that gave them a little bit of experience and they saw more what associations do. And, and you could, you have an opportunity to kind of model some leadership and mentorship as you talk to other people and work with them as well. That are good lessons for them as young adults right. to learn about leadership. Right. And if they can learn it from their mom and see that their mom can do it, you know, that someday they'll be able to do it as well, I think. Right. That's an important thing. Right. And I think I think veterinarians, um, it's part of the stress level that they have is this whole, you know, how do you have a family and then have this job that, you know, there are days in our job that you can't leave, you know, like I, I can remember when my kids were little being, you know, it's six o'clock and it's time to go pick up my son from daycare. Well, there's a client right there in front of me that needs help. So now what do you do? You know? And, and it was really difficult some days. Like I would send my receptionist to go pick up my son from daycare, which really makes you feel bad as a mom. You know, you have all these guilty, like here's this person showing up that, you know, the daycare is like, what, you know, and you have to call and say, Oh, I'm at work, but I'm sending somebody to pick him up, you know? <laughs> and that's just like, you have all these guilt feelings around it, but you know, I think that they still can turn out to be, you know, great, great people, even, even though those things happen. And my kids will sometimes say, oh, we were the last ones always picked up from daycare. And, you know, they remember those things, which I think adds a lot of guilt. But um, but they're super strong. You know, I know your kids are, too. Yeah. Like they're really strong adults. Yeah. So there's something to be said for that. They get over it. Yeah. yeah, They boy, do they hate it when they're the last kid at daycare. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You hear about that all week. (laughs) I know. It makes you feel bad. My kids now as adults will go back and say, here's what you did wrong, mom. And they'll list it out. (laughs) But I'm like, well, you're both still alive and and you made it through school and you're both in good shape. So obviously I did something right because you're not not dead. (laughs) 
So, well, that's, that's interesting. So what else on, in that realm? Like, do you have any other, maybe from your speaking engagements, what kind of work-life balance tips do you have other than, you know, just being positive? Well, you know, there's just a few things like um, put yourself first. You know, I say that to people and I ask audiences, you know, who here puts themselves first and no hands go up? Yeah, almost everybody says no. Right, but you can't you can't take care of everyone else if you don't take care of yourself first. And you're the only person that's going to be with you your whole life. So you're pretty important. And I tell people not to listen to their inner critics so much because we all have that in our brain that says all sorts of mean stuff to us. And we need to look in the mirror and say nice things to ourselves too. Somebody, uh, that just triggered something in my brain. Somebody said... If you listen to that voice in your head and you imagine that you're saying those things to your best friend, would you ever say those things to your best friend? And if you really think about that, it's like, wow, no. Like you call yourself fat. Would you say that to your best friend? And so I think that's a really good way to look at it when you start hearing those negative thoughts in your head. Yeah. Is would I say this to someone else? So if, if not, why am I saying it to myself? Exactly. Why am I tolerating this behavior of my brain and, and running me down? Good point. That's yes. a good tip. Yeah. And I encourage people to say no, because, you know, particularly I think women are more likely to say yes. And we need to think about things instead of just always saying yes. Think about, does it bring me joy or does it benefit me directly? Um, because there's a lot of volunteer things that we get sucked into as well. And we need to say no so that we have better work-life balance. And it's okay to even say, hey, let me think about that and I'll get back to you. I'll email you by the end of the day because it's easier to say no in an email than it is to someone's face too. Right, right. And, and it's easier if you give yourself a little time to think about it. Like exactly. My husband calls it the 24-hour rule. He's like, before <laughs> you answer anything or say anything or critique one of your employees or, you know, anything really that you're upset about or worried about is to take 24 hours and really think it through. Because a lot of times that 24 hours will change your answer, you know, you'll change the way you look at it. And I think saying no is really difficult for us as veterinarians because we have that whole, you know, it's, it's about the animals and about the client guilt. And I, that's something really difficult to work on, but I, I have at times, said no. You know, if a client's like, I, I want to come in and it's my day off and I'm, I'm leaving at three and the client says, well, I can't get there till four. And you really want to stay and take care of that client because you have all this guilt wrapped around it. But it really is better to say no. It's like, no, I said I was leaving at three. I'm leaving at three because I have a family and I have other things to do. And there's always someone else that can help that person. You know, that client always wants us to make us feel guilty. And that's on us to say no. So I think that's a really important tip. Yep. Any, any others? Um, ask for help. Um, oh, that's super important. And when people offer help, sometimes I see in veterinary practices, um, someone will walk up and say, hey, you look like you're a little frazzled, a lot going on. How can I help? And they don't accept help necessarily. They're like, no, I got this. No, no big deal. But they need help. So ask for help and accept it when people offer. And then they feel overwhelmed. Yeah. 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 I see that in my employees. They're like, I have all this stuff to do. And you're like, well, give me something then. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, you can't. Um, yeah. And then it, then it's the martyr thing. You know, like they, they are over overcommitted. Right. And not asking for help. Right. 
And even at, even from the standpoint of if you're not doing well mentally, asking for help right, from a friend really or important. a counselor or a therapist or a coach or, yeah. or someone, you know, call me or Carlene and we'll help you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Our phones are always available. Absolutely. <laughs> and we'll try not to say no, right? We'll try not to, yes. Yeah. I like that, asking for help. Anything else? Um, try to live in the present because if you are living in the future, you're all stressed out and anxious. And if you're living in the past, you tend to be a little bit depressed. And so there, there's some good resources out there that can help you kind of be a little bit more in the present. Because if you're in the present, usually that's a more peaceful place and you tend to be more happy there. Well, and you can't change it. You, you can't, can't change your past. You know, like you have the epic fail story. I have epic fail stories. And if you sat around and worried about that, you can't change it. It's right. done. Right. I said something yeah. stupid yesterday. I can't take it back. So now it's like, I got to go apologize, and but then move on and not worry about it. And I think that's so important, the whole being present right. thing in your life and in your day, you know, and then you're going to enjoy it more and being present, like you said, with the, with the kids and that kind of thing and in your job. I agree. Anything else that you can think of? I know oh, you have lots of good tips. Lots of good stuff. Um, Forgive everyone, including yourself. You know, you're going to make mistakes and um, you're going to learn from them. Be forgiving, yeah. And and other people are, are going to come in your life and they're going to do things that are bad. And if you don't forgive them, it really takes a toll on you personally, eventually. So it just hurts you. Forgive everyone and everything. Yeah. And, sometimes and, let, it and let it that's go. Part of the, yeah. That's part of the living in the past and not being present. Yeah. Is, is letting things go if somebody hurt your feelings. Yeah. And not dwelling on it or not hanging on to it yeah. forever. Yeah. And don't forget to have fun. You want to make social investments. You want to have a date night. You want to have some fun. You know, some of us get wrapped up in work and then we forget to go have fun. Find something that you like to do. Yeah. I think that's a big one is not having hobbies. Exactly. You know, people in this profession think that they don't have time. But I think you have to make time. Definitely. And, and do your thing. Yeah. Like you do the singing thing. and Yep. You know. I do. I want, I dance sometimes, tap dancing and things like that. So let's see, what else can we talk about? Um, uh, let's, why don't you tell me about um, anything that you've got coming up? Um, do you have any speaking? Well, you said you're not doing as much because of your job now, but do you have any speaking engagements coming up? I've got a few things with um, a couple local chambers. I've got IVAX, so it's the International Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care Symposium coming oh, up. Oh, where's they, that at? That's in Washington, D.C. Oh, cool. So they had and you're speaking there? A couple of years in advance because awesome. I was booked with AHA. But, yeah. Um, so I had that one coming up. And, and what's that one going to be on? What are you going to talk about? That's an all-day leadership one. Oh, a whole day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So are you doing your, like, um, body language what what exactly are you doing i'll probably go through communication work-life balance brain training leadership and influence um and then they have me doing a, a piece on another day on culture so um they've got me kind of doing the whole gamut yeah what what fun. about culture like how what's that talk going to be about well what kind of stuff we've already talked about or some of that but um when you build a culture you kind of need to get everybody's buy-in so if you get all of your team members in a room and you say, all right, let's think about the top three words 
that describe our practice and what we're about. And you brainstorm and people come up with different ideas. And then you kind of go through those ideas and put them together, words that are alike. And you come up with maybe four or five or six core values for your practice. And they might be positivity, honesty, respect, um, putting people first. And then you you get buy-in from all of your team members and you actually practice those core values and call people out when they're not following those core values. It helps create a culture and everybody has had input into that and everybody has buy-in. And then you begin to help people understand what are acceptable behaviors, what are unacceptable behaviors. You bring in things that are going to reward them for behaviors you want. Um, We have a new app that we're rolling out that team members can call each other out for good things that they've done and actually give them points that can be cashed in later for things like gift cards. Kind of like a positivity reward system yeah. kind of thing. And people don't realize how much their peers really really influence them, but they do. And once you call somebody out for doing something good, they're anxious to pay it forward. And so there's a lot of things you can do manually too that in that same vein, whether it's putting things up on a bulletin board or having a, like a kudos jar or a gratitude jar Lots of great ideas, and I know you've done a ton of those at your practice yeah, in the past. Yeah, and it's always hard to come up with new ideas because, you know, you do something for a while, and then it kind of, I don't know, it loses its shine, and so you've got to come up with another idea. But I just think reminding people that other people need that pat on the back, you know. Other people need to be thanked. Other people need to be encouraged. And just remembering that, it's hard for me. I don't, I don't have that natural ability like some people have where they're constantly praising other people. That is not my thing. So I really have to work hard at that. And um, the people that work with me kind of know that. Um, but I really try to, you know, thank people when they do something for me and, um, you know, make it a more positive work environment. And we've done a lot of those programs. and They really do work. It really works. Even if at a staff meeting, you just go around the room and say one nice thing about the person next to you. I mean, it's amazing what people come up with. And how much they really do appreciate each other, but they forget to tell each other. And if you can verbalize that, I mean, most teams really do love each other and like each other. And, um, you know, there are sometimes outliers (laughs) that people don't like (laughs) in their practice. But I think it's really important to appreciate people for what they bring to the table. I agree. So, all right, let's see. We should probably get wrapping up here pretty soon. But tell me about um, if there was a profession other than the one you have right now that you could do, and it could be anything like, like your wildest, you don't have the training for, what would you want to do? Like, would you, what kind of profession would you try? Good question. Well, I always wanted to be a rock star. Didn't really do that, but you kind of are though. A little bit. I'm in a band. So sing in a band. Yeah. That's so, but like, you'd want to be bigger. Oh, yeah. Like who? Who is oh, your rock and roll let's go idol? With Madonna or something. Okay, so you'd want to be Madonna. <laughs> Maybe not dressed like her. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you want to be as big as her. <laughs> but I think at this point in my life, um, I just want to make a difference. I yeah. just want to help people. Yeah. Which you're and already doing. I like doing it in this world yeah. with veterinarians and animals, and that makes me happy. What would you absolutely hate to do? Like, what would be your like worst nightmare job. I never want to be a director of finance again. <laughs> I never you see the debit and credit. It will well, be especially soon. after your epic fail of your, exactly. your accounting failure. <laughs> you exactly. never want to go. You never want to go there again. That's funny. 
So anything else you can think of that we didn't talk about that might be of use to our audience that's out there listening to us? Oh, Any other see. like big picture tips? I mean, we can do this again. We can always formulate another podcast where we can talk about an actual subject. And I think we should do that. Okay. Maybe we'll do that. Yeah. And I don't know when, but we'll figure it out. But I, yeah. I, I see people stressing out over things that are really kind of small a lot. Like what? Like, um, well, it, it might be one client, for example, where um, it, the person is just not nice. They're rude. They're awful. Every and, time they come into the practice, yeah. they're ugly. And they will let that affect them all day as opposed to the other 95% of the clients that were nice. And one of the things that I, has always meant a lot to me is that you don't have to be perfect. I mean, people will forget what you said and what you did, but they won't forget how you made them feel. Well, and veterinarians are really wrapped up into perfectionism. Yeah. You know, I, I don't feel like I'm a perfectionist, although if you ask other people, they think I am. So I guess there's some truth to that. But I think that is one of our biggest issues is we think we're supposed to be perfect. And there's really no way to be perfect in medicine. There isn't. Because it's so variable and so difficult. So that's a really good one is try not to get wrapped up in that whole perfectionism mindset. Yep. And then focus on the 80 or 90% of the clients that are great and try to let those ugly ones go. I mean, it's natural. We remember all the bad stories. I, I tell my um, fellow veterinarians that you will remember like your absolute worst cases when something died or you made a mistake or you know, those are the ones that will stick with you forever. But if you can really hang on to the positive ones and, you know, I even tell them to write them down or save the cards or, you know, in some way to remind yourself, you know, write down the stories of the fun ones or the funny things, because that's going to send you in more of that positive direction. And I, I think with the negative people, if you can be entertained by them, like sometimes I just look at them and I'm like, wow, it's, it's really entertaining how ugly they are. <laughs> And negative, you know, and if I can think about it that way, like, or, or be challenged by it, like, I'm going to see if I can win this person over that's so ugly and, and nasty. If I can make them smile once and kind of make a game out of it, maybe. Exactly. And it doesn't always work, yeah. but, you know, I think that's interesting. Finding humor is really important. Seriously. Yeah. I, I don't, love that you I do don't that. feel, yeah, I try to. I don't, I don't know that I'm always that good at it because I do have a tendency to, uh, you know, I'm a D, so sometimes that D comes out. But so anything else? I don't think so. Yeah, I, think, I, think I think we did we a pretty good a job. I think we really did. Well, yeah. I really thank you for doing pleasure. this. I'm, I'm excited about it, and I hope we can do it again. Maybe what we can do is come up with um, an actual topic that we want to teach on. And that maybe we fun. can do like a teaching together on, on one of these topics that we like to talk about. That would be really cool. Okay. Well, I thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And if me. you guys out there, you know, have any comments or questions for Carlene or I, just, you know, send me an email. You can find me at uh, DVM at gmail.com. Uh, we both have websites, so you could contact us on the website. Um, you know, give us a call or whatever. Send us a message I, or leave a comment after the podcast. And we can talk about the issues that you want to talk about the next time we get together. Thanks so much, Carlene. Thank I appreciate you. it. All right. We'll talk to you all next week. Bye.